This is Katie. And this is Sarah. We're two friends who are kind of obsessed with a little of this and a lot of that and everything in between. How are you, Sarah? I'm actually a little bit tired. I know I've said this before on other pods, um, which Katie tells me is what the kids are saying. Um, But today I'm really tired. I think I had like two hours of sleep after our little uh, partying last night. Well, this is news to me. I mean, because I left you oh, right. at, oh, I left you at 1230 in the morning, which for me was a very late night. So dude, for me, it was a very late night, but then it just got later. Um, it was, it was an interesting night. I, I met a new friend of yours. Yes. Well, he was new to you. I've actually, here's a crazy story for our listener. Um, a hundred years ago, literally almost 12 years ago, I met a guy on a plane. It is a lifetime movie. It is an after school awesome special. It's not Dateline. It's all good. And he was the nicest guy ever. He was a male model. Like what? Um, and we, we kept in touch over the years, but you know, nothing ever uh, transpired in terms of us being boyfriend, girlfriend. He never, you know, pinned me or gave me his varsity jacket or anything like that. I know. So randomly yesterday I woke up and um, there was a text from him. He was in town and um, this was a couple of days ago though. Because you oh, were oh, right. with him See, this last is where my night. this well, I mean <laughs> we all hung out right. last night. Yes. And uh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was two days ago. Anyway, point of my story being that I was like, Where is this coming from? I haven't heard from this guy in years. Um but anyway, cut to I invited him to come out. We also had our very, very uh favorite person who owns a bar method in Chicago come out with us as well. She was in town with her husband visiting and they're the most fun people ever. And, uh, and so there we go meeting this guy. We all saw him at the exact same time. I haven't seen him and it was insane. That's what was so crazy is that you were supposed to see him Mm -hmm. and hang out before me and Stephanie and Brenton came Mm -hmm. to meet you guys, but he was late. And so we walked into the bar literally, I think 10 seconds before this guy that you hadn't seen in five years walked in um, after contacting you out of the blue and it was like slightly awkward we got our like drink on and our food on but like that took a long I don't want to I don't want to call any restaurants in Brooklyn out but holy shit I was like and this girl get a glass of wine I know especially in that situation we like we waited for forever and I was like of all the times (laughs) that we're waiting for alcohol like this this is not a good one like I mean it was we've got to break the ice I could see from across the table I was looking at you and I I know you pretty well at this point Mm. and you were like at this point. Suffering. I was. It was, you know, number one, I haven't seen him in five years. He doesn't know you. I, you know, right. it's like what I don't know what's happening. And 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 sad to say, alcohol is a lovely little light lubricant to help, right. you know, uh break the ice, ease the tension. Right. But um he was so nice and so talkative and everybody was yeah. we ended up having a ridiculous time. Like nobody wanted to go home. I mean, I wanted to go home, but I was uh, um, happily led around Brooklyn. I had no problem with it, but I was like, I had to teach this morning very early. And um, mm-hmm. but anyway, we had a really, really, really fun time, and he was just, uh, it was just so freaking random. And the fact that you got to meet him too, it was just so weird. And, yeah, um, worlds colliding, yeah, different t- eras in your life colliding. Totally different eras. And yeah. when I met him, he was totally um, preppy, maybe not the word, maybe not totally like J. Crew, but a close proximity to it. And now he's like long hair, beard, um, very 
very surfer and in fact even knows one of my cousins is like a fabulous filmmaker and specializes in surf films and he knows him and knows the film that he made and or knows of him I don't think they're friends but I mean just totally the opposite um but it was just so fun yeah good, yeah, good story good, to tell good story oh, we'll yeah. talk more yes. off off mic <laughs> but um but anyway that was just crazy but i'm going to obviously i've got a white claw so that's basically um my energy right. drink okay yeah great so what ms m i don't i can't say your name um what are you obsessed with this week well crazily enough i didn't ever think that i would say this but i've been experimenting with the keto diet ah um, I don't diet. I don't really believe in dieting. I have been lucky enough to more or less eat whatever I want and I pretty much stay in shape. Um, so, because honestly, my, my belief is that once you like prevent yourself or forbid yourself from eating a certain thing that you binge on it. At least that's what's happened to me in the past. It's like I immediately want that thing or those things that I can't have. So I've just sort of tossed it out. I'm like, I, I just don't. And I also believe that all diets are fad diets. And anyways, I was having coffee with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, a new friend, and she was telling me about how she lost quite a bit of weight on the keto diet. Um, and that she was really happy on it because she really loved a lot of the foods that she was eating. And um, I don't have a huge desire to lose a bunch of weight. Um, you know, I think everyone Thank wants God. to slim down a little bit. Um, Not but, me, fellas. <laughs> But we are also going to Miami together. We are on vacation next week. So yeah, it's like, why not wanna, motivate? You yeah, totally. Especially you don't want to be next standing to you. next to me. I understand. Yeah, I get exactly. it. I get it. Right. I get it. So I needed to lose like 50 or so pounds <laughs> to reach your um, yeah, my waif perfect, status. My per- I'm not a waif. I am perfectly curvy, Halo. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't look like her. Um, so I decided to try it and see if I could do it. And um, it's been going so-so. I will say I typically eat a ton of bread, a ton of pasta, and other carbs. Um, I eat a lot of healthy stuff, but I also eat a lot of unhealthy stuff. Um, so what is keto? Yeah, keto is basically... Um, it's it's like Atkins. It's like all of the other names. It's just another marketing spin on it. It's basically limiting your carb intake. Um, and so it you takes can, your body to ketosis or something. Yeah, like and exactly. What like your mean? body reaches a state of ketosis, which where basically runs on uh, it burns a lot of fat because that's all most of what the intake your intake is. So it's mostly made up. Your diet is mostly made up of protein and fat, a little bit of protein and mostly fat. And at some point, your body just starts to burn all of the fat. Um, so you get to eat really great stuff like red meat and good cheese and dark chocolate, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, you know, there are benefits to it. Um, people say that, you know, weight loss is pretty inevitable, that you have higher energy, um, better sleep, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is like, I feel hungry all the time, you know, more so like a week or so ago when I started it, than now. So I think I, my body has adjusted to it a little bit. But when I first started, I would eat a decent amount of food. And five minutes later, I'd be like, I'm fucking starving. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to eat? And so my problem is that I have such an addiction to chocolate that I, I'm ravenously 
eating uh, dark chocolate, which is probably <laughs> not the health. And I, and sometimes if there's only milk chocolate in my house, like I'll eat that too. I know, oh, I know. And then like, we've gone out a couple times, you know, we had friends in town, whatever. So yeah. on two different occasions, we've ended up at like an Italian restaurant. And I, I really tried to minimize my carb intake, but you know, little snippets here and there. And look, I mean, I have no idea assumption that I'm going to continue this diet for the rest of my life. I believe in eating things that you enjoy because what else is life about? Like, so this isn't like a permanent thing. However, for me, what it is is to see if I can structure my life around an eating pattern that doesn't involve so many carbs, like so much bread, so much sugar, so much pasta, and really try to learn about the other options out there and then revert back to a more realistic diet, but, uh, but have a, you know, in a couple of weeks, maybe sooner, but have a better understanding of how to maybe eat a little bit healthier. On that note, I will say one thing I've noticed is that it is so hard to find meals when you're out that don't have so many carbs. Like I, the other day I walked into the more local coffee shop, <laughs> Hungry Ghost. There was not, I mean, it was literally the only like thing you scone, could eat scone, there scone. is muffin, muffin, cookie. So you know what I did? I took my ass straight to Starbucks and I Word. I was able to get something that was more keto based. Another reason to go, go to, to your local Starbucks. Exactly. I bring it all... <laughs> all full circle anyway so that's what i'm kind of obsessed with and um but i'm i don't know as the time goes on like i'm eating a little bit more like last night i had you know sushi but i think you know i had i had like rock, um rock shrimp which is like breaded shrimp and i'm like okay so i mean but a lot for me it's like a significant amount uh less amount of carbs but why don't you just do that like why don't yeah. you just try just maintaining like a healthy um, desire for carbs and sugar yeah. because I completely understand where you're coming from. I I definitely eat um, the second I feel like I don't have enough energy. Sugar seems like the exact right thing to 100%. do. And then the second I feel like, oh, it's a little bit too cold, like one degree. Um, I'm like, oh, pasta sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. But just maybe we all need to find ways to just make healthier choices 75% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think that's my ultimate goal because it, it, it's not realistic to eat like this um, for forever, at least not for me. I don't have the discipline and I, I don't think I don't, anybody yeah. can. My, I, my friend you, I was telling you about though, she's been doing it pretty consistently since the summer, which was like seven months ago. I mean, she says she lost, you know, close to 20 pounds on it. I don't, I don't really have a desire to lose 20 pounds. If I did, I mean, I could start my modeling career that I've been waiting so yeah, long to start. Absolutely. So it would be awesome. But absolutely. I mean, I don't want to wait that I long. I think you could be a full figure model now. Please. Oh, You're perfect. Katie has the I actually would flattest be abs I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> oh my God, and she's had two kids. It. Tell me more. Inappropriate. But I, I I completely hear what you're saying in terms of wanting to find a better way to eat when you feel like you don't. And I'm what I'm hearing is no self-control when it comes to sugar and carbs and stuff like that. But I, you do not seem, you've never struck me as a person who even fucking thinks about that kind of stuff. And I don't mean that in a laissez-faire way. And so I, I don't want your obsession to frustrate me, but I love you so much. And I don't want you to consider like 
your body in some way flawed and like you need to do some sort of ridiculous, I mean, cool, interesting diet right. thing. Just trying to match you in Miami. That's all. Obvi- I get it. But like, why would you put that much pressure on yourself? Like it just is a be lot of cool, pressure. man. It is a lot of pressure. I bet, I bet our guest today doesn't put that much pressure on herself. Uh, wow. Did you I, like that? That was, a good, that was a good transition. I kind of nailed it. I mean, maybe when you are writing about um, serial killers, it might make you dive for oh. the chocolate, no matter milk or white. Ooh, white chocolate is terrible. Oh, I'll eat any kind of chocolate. Really? White? Oh, yeah. I mean, milk chocolate is probably my favorite or like a lower version <gasps> really? of dark chocolate. Like mm. I, I don't... I don't love the super, like the 70% or above dark chocolates. Like that, you may as well be eating like a cocoa bean, you know what I'm saying? Like a bitter one. Yeah. It's like chalk. Yeah. Yeah. But I will eat um, chocolate in all forms, including white chocolate, mint chocolate, orange chocolate, like any of that stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, our guest today is we are both so obsessed with. I have no Um, words for it. Yeah. I'm going to let you talk while I sip my white claw just to just like get my nerves down a little bit. Yeah. Well, we met her because um, we both participated in a book club about her new book, which is called American Predator. And it's about a serial killer that killed a lot of people. And really, the public does not know much about him. Like whenever I bring him up to my friends, they're like, even people that are into true crime, they're just like, uh, never heard of him, which is insane to me. So she took this and really um, researched his life and um, all the people that he killed and then turned it into a really great book. And we're going to talk to her about that. And funnily enough, that's not even the most interesting thing about her. Exactly. You know, true crime isn't even her uh, specificity of writing. And so there's gonna there's so much pop culture, politics. It's well, she's a, she, she's and, a she's a critic. She's a critic yeah. at large, and so she covers a lot of pop culture and political issues, um, which everybody I think can Relate really to. get. Yeah, exactly. And I also think I mean, from she moderated this book club actually, and mm-hmm. you know came and w- and and so I got to be around her, and she's super down to earth and so fun. Exactly. So. I think we were both really nervous to meet her, but Completely. she literally seems like you could you know, invite her over to your apartment for a glass of wine and she would be like, which we're going do to do. Do you think, do. wait, maybe after, maybe okay. after our interview, okay. she'll like okay. fall in love with us yeah. and do keto with you <laughs> and drink White Claw with me. Maybe she'll come to Miami. <gasps> we could ask her. Well, she has to go on a diet, obviously. Right. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> totally I only kidding. travel with I'm people who kidding. do keto. Nobody should be on a diet ever. Um, all right. Well then let's just start this bit. Let's do it. We're here with Maureen Callahan, and we're so excited to be talking with her today. Maureen is an award-winning investigative journalist, author, columnist, and commentator, and she covers everything from pop culture to politics, and her writing has appeared in a bunch of really well-known publications, including Vanity Fair, Spin, and the New York Post, where she's currently a critic at large um, and a regular reporter. She also wrote a New York Times bestselling book that was released just last year called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. Sarah and I both read this book and it's both terrifying and addictive, could not put it down. So we're going to be talking to Maureen a lot about that. And Maureen lives right here in Brooklyn. Welcome, Maureen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. So um, Sarah and I met before this to discuss (laughs) the interview and we decided that the very first thing that we needed to talk to you about was where you first started working. We are obsessed with beyond belief sassy Sassy. magazine oh my god you look nostalgic sassy i am so nostalgic oh i okay so i just want to tell you when i did do some research on you last night 
I probably spent about 45 minutes looking on the interwebs at old sassy covers and picking out the ones that I remember staring at. This was a great uh, magazine. Um, I felt like for me personally, it was a teen magazine that didn't treat me like I was just boy crazy, makeup crazy, that kind of thing. I really Even if I like, was? Right. I mean, we were. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, but we just were are so obsessed with Sassy and we just are curious. How did you start working there? What was it like working there? Did you feel like you were on the cusp of something that was going to change the world? So Sassy was for me exactly what it was for you guys. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and I was a voracious reader as a kid, but when that magazine arrived every month, I mean, it was a thing. A it thing. was like, I feel it right you now. Carved out special time that you were going to sit alone, uninterrupted, <laughs> and just read it cover to cover and do your deep diving. And um, when I got to college, I just cold called them and said, I want to come intern. And I wrote a letter and they called me in and I interviewed and they said, you have the job at the time. The magazine was in this really, I mean, it just doesn't exist anymore, this world, but it was in this jewel box of a, of a, like it was a former apartment, you know, and Mm. it it was just carved up into these little rooms uh, that were so New York and it was so small. I mean, there were only like, 10 people on staff maybe wow early yeah like editors art department fashion department that was it and so I couldn't believe I was there and to me some of the writers there were like people who may as well have been like celebrities Mm -hmm. covered in the magazine because the personalities were so uh it, it was it was a deliberate um thought that the magazine had to make the the writers characters mm-hmm. so that Very the readers so. felt like an intimacy with them right and so Christina Kelly for example was the writer i most admired and i was sort of awestruck by her and she sort of took me under her wing and she became my mentor and her greatest advice to me was she said this one day to me in the ladies room she said um if you become a celebrity profiler, I will kill you. (laughs) Oh no. And you're still here. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that was sort of her, her beat. And, and, uh, we all were sort of envious of it because if it came time to interview, a Johnny Depp. Oh, Oh, there's a cover of him. Oh my God. We're the one where he's wet. Mm-hmm. Like okay. dripping wet mm-hmm. on okay. the cover. Okay, right, right, right. Jason his his Pre- face I, and his I hair. I don't okay, remember this it. from like thirty years ago, but I looked it up last night. So yes, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I'm not. I, don't, I haven't had like on the tip of my mind all these years, but that's awesome. Yeah. So the, so it would be Christina's job to go fly out to Los Angeles and spend some time with these guys. And um, but but what she wanted to get across to me at like a very early impressionable age was I think that there might be more for you than that, mm. and. uh I've never forgotten that piece of advice. So how has that shaped where you went? How long were you at Sassy? And then how has that shaped your journalism throughout? Or at least, yeah, throughout. Yeah, no, I was at Sassy until they uh, the magazine um, began having some trouble with advertisers. The internet was beginning to be born. Um, and it was a thing even then, you know, we didn't know 
what it would mean for print, but we knew it was probably not great. Um, and eventually the magazine was sold to a company that owned like like a terrible, terrible uh, sort of, I believe, teen magazine. And they their idea was to sort of fold sassy into that. They fired us all. So I had gone from having sort of my dream job uh, to being unemployed um, and terrified. And uh, I wound up, I worked very briefly for a book publisher as an editor. And I realized I didn't like that at all. I didn't want to do that. Um, and Kim France, who had been at Sassy, we went to the movies one day. It was me and Kim and Christina. And we went to see... I'm sorry, you are like so cool right now. I can't <laughs> even. Like my teenage self just cannot believe exploding you said that. Exploding from the but inside. But my, my head is literally <laughs> yeah. exploding. But keep, keep going. It gets better. Okay, all right. Um, for, th- for those of us who will fall down the sassy K-hole, uh, <laughs> we went to go see... What was Love that movie with Drew Barrymore? Never Been Kissed? No. Damn. I believe it Hold was Drew guys. Barrymore. No, she <laughs> no. played like... She played like a girl with a mental illness. <gasps> yes, oh, yes. With that gorgeous guy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know, uh-huh. what you're okay. I know what you're talking about. And, but it, I, and it was son like this, of a gun. Don't remember it. We we were there and um who else was in the movie theater? One of them spot it was probably Christina with her eagle eye. Claire Danes, <gasps> then on my so called life, was in the movie theater with her boyfriend, Andrew Dorf. Uh, oh. Brother of Stephen Dorff, yes, of course, who's having a comeback oh. renaissance. Yeah, very strange one. Oh um, my god! But uh, yeah, and and so Kim was like, "Oh, there's an opening at New York Magazine where she was." She was like, "Do you want to apply?" And I said, "Yes." And so I I wound up working there. I got a job there uh, as an as an editor and a and a like baby writer, and uh, it was like sort of the golden age of New York Magazine. Mm. Kurt Anderson was the editor. Michael Hirshhorn was there a brilliant, brilliant writer by the name of Larry Doyle who left to go write for The Simpsons. Hmm. Um, and so these were people that I was I was just absorbing a ton of, of, of great stuff from. So that, and then that, it was sort of the best thing that ever happened. That point in your career. Yeah, where, you know, you go from, it's, it is like one door closes, another mm-hmm. one opens. At first, it's extremely terrifying. <laughs> and yeah. you think, is that it? Yeah. Well, where, where will I go? Right. And doors kept opening uh, and, for and, you, but but I also sort of kept really pushing, and and I wanted that job at New York Magazine so badly, and um, I remember going in to sit an interview with Kurt, and then uh, I later heard from Kim that he came over to her and put down uh, a handwritten thank you note that I had mailed him, and said she gets the job, oh. and it was that little thing that pushed me over the edge, I think. I mean, that, you hear that, listeners. I was that's just all say, it takes. That's a special touch, advice. especially nowadays when nobody writes handwritten notes. Maybe, maybe you dash off an email, like a quick email oh, yeah. or something, right. and they've gotten a million right. of them. Mm-hmm. Now, as a fan of yours, but pop culture as well, I was thinking that you are, have lived the life that I always dreamt of, especially knowing that Sassy was one of the first things that you did. Did you know? that you wanted to be involved in pop culture in a way that followed celebrities or just sort of how pop culture shaped the fabric of our lives kind of thing. Um, Especially with Christina's advice to you. I was always really, really interested in pop culture. It's funny because I kind of feel like now there's uh, 
a deeper kind of we're all kind of deep diving pop culture on a daily basis. It really comes into everything. It does. And I think it's taken a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. than it was back then. Back then, you know, Sassy would have very smart takes on things like a national cultural youth obsession with a show like 90210. Mm-hmm. And they would do a take like, let's get some acting coaches to watch this show. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> brilliant. It's brilliant. It was brilliant. And um, it, 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 it was just sort of a, a very cheeky acknowledgement that in many ways, the show is terrible. <laughs> and in many ways, the show is the best thing on television at the moment. Um, but I feel really lucky in that, um, you know, I went from New York to spin. I had had, um, some time at MTV as well. And I got to really uh, explore all different kinds of, of the culture. You know, New York Magazine and Spin in particular, Michael, I worked for Michael Hirshhorn at Spin and these were people who were like Ivy League educated, uh, extremely sophisticated and were still unabashed with their love of pop mm-hmm. culture. And that sort of made me feel like it was less um, like intellectually derelict right. somehow. Well, well, you I, know. Think, I think being a commentator and a critic of pop culture really requires a very sharp mind, a very acute observance of the world. And then, of course, the ability then to then translate it into writing is another uh, skill that um, very few of us have you know, have acquired so or have so well. So, I mean, I, I can see how, you know, people who are really good at it and known for it, like yourself, are can be Ivy League trained and all that stuff. Well, I went to art school. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Ivy League educated. Yeah, I didn't know, know that you were. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but your mentors made you feel like it was not just fluff, that it could be yes. taken seriously in a yes. way that was still fun and cheeky, right? Yes, and it... Um, you know, now we live in a world where, uh, there's, I feel like there's just no divide anymore. Politics, pop culture, uh, they are one and one and the same. Do you think that originated with the election of Trump or do you think it started before that? Because obviously there's a lot of talk and press around how he, blurs the line between reality TV and politics. But do you think that started to happen before him or I I do. Mm -hmm. I I, I think I, I think that it started with JFK. Oh, okay. We're going a little further back than I thought. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Now that I think about it, he was the first movie star president Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he won in large part because he was telegenic, uh, he had yet a sort of aristocratic bearing. Jackie was a big part of that. Inviting America into the White House via television. Uh, running around with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and the Rat Pack and the Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. thing. And even the, you know, the assassination mm-hmm. was a national trauma because yeah. it was televised. Those of us who weren't alive have seen it over and over. Uh, the way the funeral was staged, which was all Jackie and, you know, was uh, cribbed from uh, the funeral for Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you know, it was a very cinematic presidency that uh, 
and and a family that we still follow today, like mm-hmm. a soap opera. Mm-hmm. Very calculated. It seems like almost polished. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, the Kennedys, Kennedys yeah. in general. I mean, I've been listening to a podcast, shockingly. Um, and my father is a total conspiracy theorist about it and is obsessed with JFK and loved him. And I can't imagine living during that time when he was assassinated, how the fear would have struck the nation. Um, but very much groomed. In fact, it wasn't supposed to be JFK. It was supposed to be his older his brother, brother, Joe. Um, but just that family, like that, they're like, this is terrible to say. Well, like the royal family or, you know, yeah, they're the Kardashians. The, I mean, I feel like they're the closest um, thing to American royalty, aside from sure. the Kardashians. I mean, let's not. <laughs> they <laughs> are American royalty. Let's be clear. But sorry, not to get too off topic, but they do seem very calculated. Jackie as well. Well, yeah. I mean, when you when you read about uh, the way in which she, um, she basically line edited the Life magazine piece that ran right after... Uh, the assassination and and the sort of whole Camelot mythology that she transposed onto what we now know was anything but mm. uh, behind closed doors. Um, I mean, those were two people who were masters of of uh, image control and uh, and 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 uh, really controlling their own narrative. They had the benefit of the press still. Uh, being very protective of of the president in the White House, it wouldn't happen that way today. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I I I would I would say those two. Um, so you, a lot of your writing has to do with um, commentary around celebrities and pop culture, and a lot of it is um, quite biting and critical. Um, and um, I'm curious, was was it always like that for you or did it change at some point um, or sort of um, how did you arrive at, you know, at being, you know, being so critical? And I don't mean that in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, it's crit- refreshing. I love, crit- thank <laughs> you. Your writing yeah. is, I mean, it draws you in. It just seems very um, educated and, um, but yeah, I'm just curious sort of how you um, came to have that world point of view and, and to put it out there in the world and be, and be a well-known writer around it. Well, um, thank you for that. I, I never sort of, it wasn't a sort of, uh, premeditated notion that I had. Uh, and I think where it sort of, uh, took root was, I remember not to bring everything back to the Kennedys, but it is kind of an obsession with me as well. Oh, that's Um, so fun. It is. Uh, So I was watching um, Ted Kennedy's, the coverage of of his he was in, you know lying in state in the capitol which is um you know it's it's a it's a rare honor mm-hmm. if you're not a president uh and uh you know the thousands of americans who had traveled to just go by the casket and pay their respects and then watching the funeral and uh you know president obama spoke and i felt like i was the only person who didn't understand why we weren't mentioning uh, Mary Jo Kopechny, uh-huh. and that this was a man who uh, left a young woman to die mm-hmm. in w- three feet of water in an air pocket, and she she lived for hours, that and she, she could have been saved. Terrifying thought. This is not an ameliorating fact. It was also pre-Me Too, mm-hmm. uh, but 
I felt like I was watching state-run TV yeah. because nobody was mentioning this. And to me, it's the only thing I can think about when I think of Ted Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a column about that and I got a lot of response and it was overwhelmingly positive. And I kind of intuitively thought, oh, this is something I'm interested in. Like the the gap between public perception, a prevailing conventional narrative versus things that are maybe more difficult to try to reconcile uh, regarding someone um, and and the mythology that has been built up around them. Yeah, and that seems to happen a lot both in politics and in pop culture among celebrities where there's a lot of stories of like adoration and fame and wealth and success and all of this stuff. And then these stories beneath the surface where they, I don't know, they uh, were, pedof- you know, pedophiles or they were accused of rape. I mean, case in point right now, I mean, if we bring up Kobe Bryant, who recently passed away, I mean, um, you know, he was acquitted of rape, but he was accused of rape, but he was acquitted, right? Back in well, the he was never charged criminally. He, also, he wasn't charged just civilly or... They reached a, a suit, gotcha. a, a settlement as a result of a civil suit. And he uh, he issued an apology mm-hmm. uh, for his behavior that night, I think was the phrasing. Um, but it's interesting. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it was a Washington Post reporter, I believe, who tweeted... Yes. A link to the original, to, to a Daily Beast story about mm-hmm. that. And she has since been suspended. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not know that. And Evan Rachel Wood also said something in a tweet or on whatever. Um, and she's been drawn and quartered mm-hmm. for it. I mean, it's, you know, when when we were in, Kate, I was with Katie the other day when we found out. And that was the first thing that I said. And it it feels weird because I've subsequently cried over it and been very, you know, sad about it, um, mostly in terms of all of the other victims and his daughter. And But it is, it's hard to separate fact from bad fact, you know? You know, all of his heroics. Um, and that that one thing was the first thing that hit me when, when I found out. It's interesting too, because I was watching um, a lot of the coverage and... That night, ABC aired like an hour-long special. Mm -hmm. And it was mentioned in the middle. It was like a one-line throwaway. Like this was a part of the narrative that's a little messy. Um, I think with Kobe, his age, Mm -hmm. the fact his daughter was with him. yes. Yes. The horrific way in which his life suddenly ended. Those things, I think people just want a moment to absorb mm-hmm. and to grieve. Um, and at the same time, you know, yesterday the AP ran a story asking, why are we not discussing this part of Kobe's life? Like, this is not a small matter. Um, I think we really, I, I just think it's it's a deep human need. We want our heroes, mm-hmm. you know. I think it happens, look, to people who are not celebrities, right? I mean, in death... Um, friends and family that we know in our lives personally. I mean, it's not like you're at somebody's funeral talking about 
you know, all the horrible things they did to you or did they did in life, right? I mean, there's something very I don't human. know what funerals you go to, right. but that's a big part of the ones right. I attend. Well, yours, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but sorry, you have. Maureen. But I think there's a very human, you know, need to sort of, at some point, like you said, to grieve, to be able to at least maybe temporarily suspend your anger or your knowledge mm-hmm. of really human acts. I mean, I'm not, dis, uh, you know, um, dismissing, dismissing. Thank you. Anything, you know, of that nature, uh, for people, for stars like Kobe Bryant, but, uh, he was human and he was mortal. It turns out. And now he's dead. And, um, so I think people want to see the better light and sort of live in that. So I, I mean, the I same with JFK. I, I mean, the same yeah. with, I mean, Yes, with Ted Kennedy and the people that we revere, you have not shied away though from tackling those situations that are clearly hypocritical. Um, Ricky Gervais or, or Hollywood in general, not Ooh. Ricky Gervais, he's not a hypocrite, he's no, fantastic. But he's fantastic. But, yeah, but Hollywood in general and the royals, um, mm-hmm. who are I'm still obsessed with, and mm-hmm. we can definitely um, talk about that. But the Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein thing, um, Jeffrey Epstein, not hard to talk about in a negative way because obviously bad, bad person. But so what we're saying is, you can you can you sleep over tonight at the studio because we have a lot of things to discuss. <laughs> no. We oh want to know about every single one. Of, those are all, by the way, for our listeners. Those are all very, very recent articles that Maureen has written in the, at the New York Post. And um, you hold no punches. You know, like Prince Andrew. I, I, which he, that was the most ridiculous interview ever to have done who allowed him to do that in the palace, all very lit in a very creepy way, which He's just, creepy. yeah, which just um, reinvigorates the um, argument that he had something to do with being a disgusting pedophile. How in a world where there are so many publicists and so many people uh, pulling back the press, how are you able to write those things with such, I don't know, sovereignty? I don't know. It's, it's fun. I don't know. And I, they pay you to do it. And they pay I you to do it. Awesome. awesome. They pay me to do it. Um, I think I think one thing that helps is I'm not on social media. Yeah. So which sucks for me. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to follow you everywhere. You but whatever. There. You have so many followers uh, instantly. Maureen. Which you probably don't want, actually. You know, it's I but I don't I don't hear the sort right. of Twitterati coming at me and it doesn't really affect me. I had um and, and, and when I do get responses But you have editors. You have there are people that buy the New York Post that might write to your bosses yes. and say, She's freaking terrible. Yes. Get her out of there. Yes. She's saying things about Prince Andrew, I mean, or whomever it yes. is, you know, I have the emails to prove it. I probably <laughs> the the most vile two columns prompted the most sort of vile uh, responses. One was a column I wrote about Elon Musk. Okay, um, now it was after the cave divers successfully got those children out. And we all, I think we all thought they were not coming out of that cave, oh, right? Definitely. But not. Elon Musk had flown over on his own dime and was like building a tube on the side of the road and saying that he was going to figure it all out. Right. Oh my God. Um, and so I wrote a column basically calling him a fraud, you know, like Tesla at the time was just spiraling downwards and SpaceX rockets were blowing up before they <laughs> exited the atmosphere. And he pulled this stunt, you know, when the, I, I, it was one of the most cynical things I'd ever seen. <laughs> Um, didn't he say something about the rescuers? He called one of the rescuers a pedophile. Yeah, nice. Um, and so 
I I was sort of blissfully unaware of the of the uh, the sort of cult of Elon, like the the bros who oh. you know. So those mm. were great. And then um, I wrote a column uh, last spring. Howard Stern, who I listened to and have listened to since I was a teenager, mm-hmm. huge fan. Um, fan, yeah. Uh, but when he was promoting his most recent book, he was doing this nationwide junket in and his uh whole spiel was you know i'm reformed i'm redeemed i've evolved i have been in therapy for the past 13 years four times a week i'm no longer the vulgarian america knew me as like i'm i am a Mm grown-up and i wrote a column sort of just calling bs on it because i listened to the show Mm -hmm. and i know that he still relies way too heavily and should not at all on the mentally impaired mm. as you know material Fodder. and punchlines yes, and cast members, and that he routinely humiliates his own staff on air and uh, regarding everything from their marriages to their peccadillos to their personal hygiene to whatever, and then his his longtime sidekick Robin Quivers. Robin, she won't. The yeah. strong female presence who does the news, which I think is the most popular part of the show. I've always loved it. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who is an incest survivor. Mm-hmm. And every morning before she does the news, he plays a song in which some man is singing about her breasts or her genitalia or what he would like to do to her sexually, how he would like to humiliate her sexually. She's Teflon. I mean, that woman. She may be Teflon, but I think it's juvenile and yeah. misogynistic. Absolutely. And I hate it. Oh, 100%. I, I have always actually felt, not to get totally off tangent, I've always felt that Robin Quivers just kisses his ass and I'm like... It's kind of a weird I think it's a really weird relationship, but... For, I, that's lasted I have, how many years? Like yeah, literally like 30 decades. years. Yeah. Yeah. I was just always yeah. like, oh, Robin, get out of that fucking box and I love Howard Stern but I was like this is not this is not a good space for There's you this feels toxic you know it's like Robin call me right Go I know ahead. exactly sorry no not right. at all so, I mean yeah I agree and um so I wrote this co- I wrote this column and I, I I truly thought no one would read it and I truly thought he if he read it would never mention it because he was getting such adulation from everyone, from every outlet he could want. Like mm. the New York Times, NPR, like, you know, things that intellectuals <laughs> read and absorb, right? And he was just loving it. And to my great surprise, he went on the air the next morning <gasps> and spent 10 minutes at the top of the show just bemoaning the fact that this column existed named me three times. I didn't understand why. And then it was pointed out to me by a friend that that was his like rallying cry to his fans to start assailing me with emails, calling me all kinds wow. of vile things, oh, which wow. absolutely happened. Being on Howard Stern's shit list definitely like raised your cool factor. I think like another. <laughs> I don't need. Like I don't need this. I don't need her shit to be raised. I'm it's so confused there. right now. It's, I, it's too much. It's through the roof. Um, so what, wait, 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 wait. So. Yeah. What happened? So uh, I told my editor and he said, oh, <laughs> and he listened to it and he said, well, you got to write another column for tomorrow's paper. Yeah. And I said, I really don't want to get into a public feud with Howard Stern. And he was <sighs> like, it's too funny. You have to. So I did. Yay. And uh, I, I wrote a response to Howard asking if, him, if I had struck a nerve. Uh, and I thought, well, surely he will disregard this one because... 
he did not. Mm. <laughs> and he went on the air the next day and said, I give up. Wow. I give up. And now how, this is the funniest thing. Robin's um, words of consolation to him were, why do you care? She is a nobody. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. So cut to uh, December. And I don't know if you guys heard this, but Howard had Hillary Clinton on yeah, so yeah. Big for time. two and a half hours. Well, we yeah. saw that you wrote about and it. And I yeah. wrote about it because I listened to the thing front to back. I, I was like, this is the most relatable Hillary Clinton has ever mm-hmm. been. Days later, after he comes back from break, Howard gets on the air and he says, Maureen Callahan wrote the most wonderful (gasps) column about me and my show and it made my weekend and I was so moved and I was like, this is insane. I've never met this person. Right. I don't understand the intensity of the reaction. I'll take it. I don't understand the intensity of the reaction, Uh, but it, it was, it, it, it. I felt gratified in a way because in each of those columns, I was telling the truth mm-hmm. as I saw it. And I think that's why it evoked such a response Yeah, because I, I didn't really have an agenda. I wasn't baiting him. I wasn't right. looking for airtime. I wasn't looking for clicks or likes. It just, it was a thing I thought. Yeah. And I, well, yeah. he's even admitted, I mean, he's very much like a Trump figure where it's like, you don't, they're so impacted by what people say about them negatively. Like he's just spitting out all, spewing out all kinds of negative stuff about people, but you being a quote unquote, nobody, which is obviously bullshit. I mean, he obviously was seriously, cause he's, I mean, at, at, at his core, he's probably really insecure about himself, even oh, in course. his oh. position today. It's just kind of, of incredible. Course. Yeah. Uh, it's such a, it's such a, it's, it's, it, that's the point exactly right like he can he can talk shit about anyone and everyone vulnerable people vulnerable Mm people vulnerable the most vulnerable people public figures to by the way pulling his punches in the run-up to the 2016 election you know he now likes to say oh it was always pro hillary everybody knew that Mm -hmm. he pulled his punches he didn't Mm -hmm. want to alienate half of Mm -hmm. his audience it's all about money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yes, an insecure person. There was one article, um, actually, I think, pardon me, it came from a book you wrote, Champagne Supernova, um, talking about my favorite era of supermodels, the Kate Mosses, the Marc Jacobs, who's not a supermodel, but a designer, Alexander McQueen. And you must have done something terrible because Marc Jacobs... Got real pissed. Oh my Can God. you, you tell your us homework? Maureen, <laughs> this is not my first rodeo. Do you think Sassy, do you think Jane Pratt would hire me? Do you think there's any way that she would ever hire me? I love her so much. Just say yes. Oh, yes. Okay, of thank course. you. If she uh, shows up on your doorstep tonight. No, Jane Pratt. <laughs> well, Jane, kidding. I'll bring Maureen with me. We'll go to Jane's house. That story is really funny. So I wrote a Again, I, I was I was noticing all of these things going on with the Mark Jacobs empire, um, and it was after I'd written the book. But it was you know um, he he had sort of revitalized uh, Bleecker Street in New York, mm-hmm. which had been like sort of barren for years. Then he came in and opened three stores, and it became like a kind of Gold Coast. Um, he was the designer that girls in the '90s wanted to wear, and oh, totally and be influenced. Like whatever he said went. Um, and he was a real. He was like McQueen and like Kate Moss. He transcended fashion. He was he was beyond it. Like you knew his name, even if you didn't care about fashion. But I sort of not- started noticing things were awry with with his business, and so wrote a column uh, positing that. And um, 
I'll never forget that night I was getting ready to go to sleep and I got a text from my friend William who also writes about fashion and he goes, oh my God, Maureen, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to let it rest until morning because obviously I can't do anything about whatever this is. And I forgot about it when I woke up and then I started going online and seeing things and then I saw it. I saw that Mark Jacobs wrote this open letter to me and was very upset. Uh, And uh, I was like, that's interesting. I like it. I like it. Like I struck a nerve. Like, Mm -hmm. So what were you positing? Oh, that uh, the business was sort of circling the drain, mm-hmm. and 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 it was, and something about like just his sort of behavior as well was uh, there. Well, yeah, the the real um, red flag for me was Robert Duffy, who had discovered him as a fashion student and who had been by his side for decades through all of his addictions and everything that ever sort of put his business and reputation in peril had after like 30 years cut ties with him. Wow. And I thought that was... That's a red flag. And, and, that's, <laughs> and, and Mark Jacobs is someone who has been very public about having no relationship with any members of his family of origin. So Robert Duffy was really his most significant family member. Um, and that to me was a red flag. And then I believe within a couple of days of that, page six had been able to report uh, like a 72-hour orgy that Mark had held mm. at his West Village townhouse. Wow. With energetic. Potentially <laughs> you dubious. Tired already. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about it. It's 72 minute orgy sounds <laughs> <Right>. like what? <laughs> with, 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 you know, people possibly entering with dubious substances. Dubious. Um, yeah. So, um, needless to say, he was not happy. Needless to say, he was not happy, but again, it had no, it, no impact on my actual real life. Right. You so know, I'm, I'm curious when you get the pushback from readers and celebrities, I mean, how does it make you feel? Do you feel like you get excited about it or does, does it make you scared or sort of question your writing or how, how does it impact you? Um, it, it, when it's something about, a pop cultural event or a celebrity, it doesn't bother me either way. Um, it It's really only gratifying when it's about something that is truly important. Like, for example, I did an expose several years ago about um, military working dogs who mm. served in Iraq and Afghanistan and who the military and the Department of Defense just, they basically throw them away when they're done with them. Uh, and then they wind up back here in America um, on a sort of black market. And uh, I got a lot of response on from that. And and w- if it's if it's something like that where you feel like you're trying, you, you, you could potentially move the needle. You know, you could potentially get someone in a position of power to do something. Uh, that's when you sort of are gratified that you know you you're getting hundreds and hundreds of reader emails mm-hmm. immediately saying this is outrageous what can i do what mm-hmm. can i do mm-hmm. yeah what did happen what were you able at i least- heard initially that well the the tragedy was the same day that story ran um scalia died oh so scalia took all the oxygen out of the room uh I later heard that there was supposed to be a a congressional inquiry into what was going on 
and that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. I have a question about a somewhat lighter topic, yes. just to go back to, um, and then we do want to talk about your book, I think, also. But um, you think, yeah. Um, but one of the more recent articles that you wrote, um, you talk about Hollywood is depressing now, mm. um, <laughs> and that you feel like you know pop culture is a reflection of our mood as a nation. And needless to say, between Trump and terrorism and the fear of a recession and mass shootings, all that stuff, that the, the mood right now is kind of depressing. Um, but that a book that you read, I think you read by by Pinkner, Pink, uh, Pinker, who talked about how we're actually, as a human race, better off than we ever have been. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you think like Hollywood should be more fun based on that fact? It's interesting. What Steven Pinker has to say is true. By every metric, humanity is in a better place than it has ever been. Um, and yet we, we do all, I think, and especially in New York city where um, it's so media centric mm-hmm. uh, and everyone's sort of reading everything and seeing everything. You, it, it feels like a dark cloud follows a, a dark cloud just follows. And um it sort of dovetails with a, another column I did uh, with in the past few months, um, sort of observing um, this incredibly childlike affect the American adult has taken on, uh, and I I noticed it. Um, I had read an article about Carnival Cruise Lines. Uh, they are building uh, the first ship of the of its kind. Uh, on deck is going to be like an enormous eighty foot. Uh, roller coaster. Oh, I've heard about this. And then you great. have this sort of uh, primetime television has been overtaken by game shows for adults, hosted by like Oscar winners are doing this stuff. Right. It's not even like you know the ones the who are like right, yeah. rice divorced and have bills to pay and they yeah. can't book a job. Yeah. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And there's and and uh, the journal had run a story about um, you know highly educated professionals paying good money to to uh, partake in recess for adults. Mm-hmm. So instead of entertaining yourself, you, you now go and you pay someone to put you on a team to play kickball or whatever you would do as a child. Um, and I, I kind of think they're, they're, they're related. You know, there's this kind of feeling, I, I'd like to be a child and I'd like an adult to tell me what to do and mm-hmm. to protect me and to entertain me and just distract me from all of this stuff I don't want to deal with. Um, and you're also seeing it reflected in Hollywood, which, you know, talk about joyless. When I was watching the Globes and Ricky Gervais and his amazing blazing, you know, eight minute monologue, and he makes a Jeffrey Epstein joke and they cut to Tom Hanks who like makes a face. Like I'm shocked. Like when you can't laugh at a Uh, dead pedophile, I mean, (laughs) honestly, left nothing, nothing. I mean, there is nothing but humor from that. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, no, but I'm serious. I, I mean, Ricky Gervais can do no wrong, and you're at a fucking Golden Globe show, and like it, it is, it is about the worst thing that could possibly happen. Ha ha, that's fucking funny, dude. Like, come on. Like, you can't just sit here going, "I'm amazing. I'm an actor. Yes, I'm, I'm incredible. I'm an actor." And don't get me wrong, I, I 
live my life, I am powered by pop culture. So I, I love the importance of all of them and I do love an award show but if you can't laugh at yourselves you are not curing cancer people but I so I know your article was about how you know what Ricky Gervais was saying which is you know like these at these award shows celebrities get up there movie stars get up there and they sort of can't resist um talking about a political issue or something, you know, and, and sort of like your annoyance with that. Like it's a little, you know, where do they get off talking about this? Um, and I just, I, I have mixed emotions about this because I, my, I guess my question to you is, is it, is it better to not have people who sit in positions of power and have large audiences who will listen to their voice? Is it better for them to, um, say what they're thinking and, and talk about political issues and address them um, or not to because it's not their place. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like I sort of yes. feel both ways. Like on the one hand, am I annoyed when like Michelle Williams gets up there and, you know, talks about her problems because she's this privileged woman who, you know, is like one in a million. However, would I prefer her not to address issues like right to life? I don't think so because I think it's actually cool. a lot of people are listening to that. But she also seemed to gloss over the fact that the person she's choosing to have a baby with right now was married when she met him, and right. so was she. That was your, like Lorraine's you may point, want to right. not talk about it. Period. You know, like have a little self awareness. Sorry, but they Maureen. do have a platform. Like Jane no, no, Fonda, they totally. And listen, sorry. Jane Fonda. Sorry, Jane no. Fonda and people like Barbara Streisand. You know, who I guess liberal. You know, is, it's, it became a dirty word because honestly, the conservative made it that way but you know they're sort of like the pinnacle of like older white women privileged white women you know talking about political issues and I mean yeah I kind of get that but I also think it's kind of ballsy and I also think like well if these you know at least they're getting the issues out there so I'm just curious your opinions on my musings (laughs) oh yeah no I have I have all kinds of thoughts about this um you know I, I think two things one is um when celebrities get on stage at an award show and sort of proselytize or offer their opinions on politics, uh, I feel that uh, the average viewer takes that in the same way uh, the average voter is watching the impeachment proceedings, which is (laughs) I either believe what you're saying or I don't. So if I'm someone who's pro-life and Michelle Williams gets up, it's just going to reinforce my belief even further. Why am I going to listen to this Hollywood liberal rich girl who is a hypocrite, as you just pointed out? Um, One of the other things that I loved Ricky Gervais uh, saying was to that group of people, most of you have less education than Greta Thunberg. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you are in no position to tell anyone how to live or who to vote for or what to do. And I could not co-sign that more. And, you know, you mentioned Jane Fonda. And I think in many ways, she's kind of a patient zero for this thing because she was an uneducated Hollywood celebrity who went over to Vietnam and sat with the North Vietnamese. And she has never, ever been forgiven for that Mm -hmm. by Vietnam veterans, ever. Um, And she regrets it, and she has apologized for it. But I think that that's sort of one of the prime examples of the ways in which it it can feel a little bit dangerous. Like the North Vietnamese use this Hollywood star as a propaganda tool. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a that was a pretty serious incidence of it. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it too. Much more relatable, knowing that like it's not like some uh, person in Trump's base is watching the Golden Globes, wondering how they're going to think about X Y Z. I'm topic. waiting for Brad Pitt to tell me what <laughs> Whatever, to do about no, a two state well, solution. Let me yes. just tell you, <laughs> Maureen, well, you're now too- preaching to this choir because whatever he wants me to do, I will fucking do right now. And I was off him for a while. I'm back, Brad. I think to a certain extent, but I I hate to bring it back to the Kardashians, but I have to just for do one you, second, do you which hate is that to? I do think people stars like Kim Kardashian who have this tremendous platform. Uh, it does seem to me, and I'm not an expert; I haven't done any studies on this, but it does seem like you know her discussions about certain maybe charitable causes, or she doesn't really get into politics, but a little bit. I mean, it does seem a little bit to sway her followers who may be a little bit more young and impressionable. But I hundred percent agree i mean you well know, that's i think that's I, i'm so sorry but to your point i think that's what maureen is saying is the, kim's followers are going to believe what kim says so if she if she said that she was pro-life then they would listen to her and be pro-life yeah. uh do you know but I, so but maybe kim i i just think <laughs> kim kardashian we have an ongoing joke about this sorry kim kardashian she's may obsessed have with kim kardashian a, isn't that crazy she may have she more of an you know people that are i don't know no but i agree with you i definitely think that they should all everybody should use their voices i i i i think we well we may not all agree on that i just think um that it isn't going to it's not going to change people's minds who aren't already doing those things yeah no i mean that's that's what i think is you know i mean it makes total sense to me kim kardashian to your point is a really interesting example and in a way kind of an outlier um with her criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I, where I was thinking. Would, well, would yes, it, I think would, it is brilliant. I wonder is, were Trump not in office, would Kim K be getting an audience in the Oval with, say, Barack Obama? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I would like to think not. I mean, I, 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 I also think the Obamas have kind of gone through the looking glass in terms of they're fully Hollywoodized now. Um, you do. I do. You I do. do. In a and negative way? I, I, I loved Barack Obama, voted for him twice, uh, thought Michelle was uh, did an incredible job in an impossible situation. Um, but now I do feel that they are sort of through the looking glass. You did write about her book was just like a, a craven, craven cash, cash grab. Yeah. If, if I can you know, quote I, you, why do you think that? to you. Well, I went to the launch event in uh, Chicago um, two years ago and it was terrifying. It was terrifying. I felt like it, it was Oprah on steroids, you know? What's and- wrong with that, Maureen? I'm just kidding. I, I, <laughs> when I, here's, here's what's wrong. When I go in and I see, um, you know, your legacy, I, I would think your legacy is, as uh, the first African-American first lady who just did a stellar job front to back. Like that's, I, I feel like that's good, right? And, and you think about your legacy. She's at the halfway point of her life. When you walk into an arena and you see kiosks with t-shirts that are emblazoned with when they go low, we mm. go high on sale for $35. I begin to, my blood begins to curdle, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, or I see pencils on sale for $10 a case. Like w- how much money do you need? And when you're taking that memoir and then sort of looking to commodify it as a sort of lifestyle branding launch, you know, there were all of these social media feeds scrolling through on these huge screens about 
women testifying to who they were hashtag becoming. I, I began to feel, you know, no. that it, there was a very cult-like situation happening. No. And uh, it, it makes me um, very nervous, very nervous. That's the deal, man. Now I feel like to get your message out, it's all about the marketing. It's all about the branding. It's all about pushing products. And I mean, I, I mean, it does to get your message out. You believe yeah. that you have to have t-shirts, some form of that. Yeah. I think it's a very competitive environment. I think with social media and 24 hour news cycles, but I what do does she think- need to compete with? What is her message exactly? What do you know her message to be? What has she gotten across to us? Well, I think it's partly to, you know, to talk about her, you know, the book that be coming and her life and um, she's probably, I don't know, but she's probably, you know, she she does fight for good causes and, um, you know, to raise the awareness of her profile and the profile of the organizations. I'm, look, I'm playing devil's advocate. I, know. I mean, I think I think we all sitting here have a lot of, well, maybe not Maureen anymore, admiration and respect for Michelle Obama and the Obamas in general, but um, I think also people like her in American society are completely dominated by the machines that run them. I mean, we have to remember that people in this position are, it's not just them. They have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people working for them that promote their lifestyles and the organizations that they support and all that stuff. And there's a machine behind her that is you're damn right they're going to be selling those t-shirts. You're damn right they're going to be pushing that book as much as possible. I'm just Look, saying, I say I, good for her. Make all the money you can out of the White House, but be cognizant of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think... That's an excellent point. You know, Jimmy Carter's the last great... He went and he works for Habitat for Humanity. He's 95 years old, survived a brain tumor he was told was fatal. He has made his legacy about public service. He teaches Sunday school. You know, he's not he's not out there, you know, with a tin cup post-presidency saying, give me everything you can. Mm-hmm. And It's a different generation. But I, I think if you're going to... If you're going to sell a T-shirt that's branded, it's one thing. Do you do you have to commodify a sentiment like "When they go low, we go high"? Yeah, it's a great quote, though. It's a great quote, <laughs> yeah. but don't 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 be so but, yeah, cynical yeah. as to come on. Like by the the very commodification of it shows that you are not on a higher level mm-hmm. than anyone else. Yeah, you know, I I don't like it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I completely hear what you're saying, Katie, and I think it's it it is scary to me. You know, the the fear that. We have to be this brazen to be ourselves and to have ourselves seen and heard. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real, you know, when sex tapes make stars and those stars make shows that make them millions of dollars. And yes, now she is doing much more interesting and heady things, Kim Kardashian, um, in terms of getting people who are wrongfully convicted out of prison, which I think is an amazing thing that she is doing and going to law school. Um, But, you know, at what cost is everything... When your sex tape comes out I next week, I can't fucking wait. You are go- you're it's seventy-two it. hours long. Is everybody I mean, cool with what, that? You're not going to make t-shirts that hours says "Watch I my am. video." Yeah, that kind of is on brand, though. I'm not going to make totally. t-shirts. I'm going to make condoms. Not that I use them, fellas, but I'm just saying <laughs> I do. Obsessed and want more. Stay tuned until next week when we talk to Maureen about her New York Times best-selling true crime book about America's most meticulous serial killer.